so, all right, so if I were to do something this morning, and I know that there's probably some ladies in here that could, could uh, demonstrate these skills as well, but kind of going towards the men and challenging the masculinity and, you know, just thinking about football and see how good you guys are, if there's any of you that actually like drive a van and park in the middle of a field and video shoot yourself throwing uh, football, a little reference to a movie there. But anyway, the, uh, uh, anybody that kind of lives in those glory days that would take the challenge this morning, I would say, listen, I, I will actually give you cash if you can throw a football a certain distance. And we'd say, how many can do 15 yards? And several of you would raise your hand. How many can do 20? And it just keeps going. And so, all right, well, I want you to put it inside the sound booth. Don't hit any equipment. You can hit somebody, but not any equipment because those are expensive. Uh, but put the ball in the sound booth. And some of you could. I mean, Mike Andre could come and kick it that far. Um, which, by the way, he holds the record as the NCAA largest, most brutal kicker in, in, in uh, kicking history, I believe. Um, so, you know, some of you would go, yeah, I think I could do that. And I'd say, okay, well, come up here. I want you to throw this ball. And, uh, and you'd walk up and you're like, well, wait a minute. You said we were going to throw a football. And I said, well, this, this is a football. And you're going, it's missing something. Well, it's not missing anything of substance. I mean, it's got all the, this is probably not real leather, but it's got the leather and the laces and the NCAA, so you know it's official, right? And, and I hand it to you, and you're like, well, I can't throw it, I can't do that because it's not right. And I say, what's it missing? And you'd say, the air. And I would say, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, the Holy Spirit. Our lives have substance. They have value. They are there. But our spiritual life is not very powerful and very useful if we live it in the flesh and don't let the Holy Spirit be the inflation inside the football that gives us a value and makes us useful. So one of the things that I um, kind of excited about. I, I, I didn't know exactly what people would know inside each service and, you know, like how many people have, you know, really studied the Holy Spirit and some people would raise their hands and how people have no idea what I'm talking about and how many of you are old enough to read in the King James and it's the Holy Ghost and you're confused by Holy Spirit because it was a ghost and, but yet I'm afraid of ghosts and anyway, so I'm not talking about that, but, but just the idea of where we are as, as a group when we gather um, and, and I really feel like the Lord just said, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to teach about the Holy Spirit. In a time of distress, we need comfort. And that is one of the main roles the Holy Spirit will do for us, is to empower us to be able to rest in God and what He's done for us. So I'm going to share with you some things this morning. It's got quite a few verses. Most of them will be on the screen. Um, so you're going to have to have your speed reading on because I'm not a speed reader, but you'll have to interpret everything that I screw up. But uh, I, I'm really kind of pumped about this. Several weeks ago, as we we're teaching on Wednesday night through Man U, we're teaching through the book of Acts. And so we just dealt with the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. And uh, so Friday, when I got the call to say, hey, can you step in on Sunday? I was like, well, absolutely. And I really felt like I was kind of going in one direction. And I feel like the Lord really said, I want you to talk about the Holy Spirit. So for the Men that were in Man U a few weeks ago, this is very, very much the meat of what I shared with you guys. But as we were going through the book of Acts, we realized that Jesus in chapter 1 is talking about he's, he has been arrested, he's been uh, executed, he's been put in the grave, he's resurrected from the grave, he's alive again, and he's made himself known to many uh, witnesses. And in that time, as we get into the first part of chapter 1, he is talking to the disciples right before he ascends into heaven. And, and I, people always ask me, what does that mean? It means exactly what it sounds like. He just starts floating and he just goes up. And you know, that I mean, one of y'all do that today. I'm going to be impressed. You know, I mean, it's like, well, <laughs> cool. And, but then we start looking for wires and figure out how all that kind of stuff works. I mean, this is before they even knew anything about flight. Jesus ascended into heaven in the first part of chapter one. 
And then he tells them before he leaves, he says, listen, I'm going to be going away, but I want you to go to, in Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there until I send my spirit. And they kind of have an idea. They've walked, you know, walked with him and been with him for three years. They have some idea of what he's talking about, but they don't really know what he means by, I'm going to be gone and I'm going to send you someone. And so they're kind of in this wonder. So I put on the, these four verses in Acts chapter 2 because um, I think it's the very beginning when you talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit existed and, and showed up many times in the Old Testament, and even when Jesus was on earth, there were times when His Spirit was present. You'll see that when it says the Spirit was there, or the Spirit came, and the Spirit did. But He's not dwelling yet at this point. He comes in chapter 2 at Pentecost, and this is what it says. These four verses are really important. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let me just break this down because this is super important when we're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. They have never really seen it as is going to be manifested with everybody or present with everybody or makes itself demonstrated with everybody. They, they, they've, this is new to them, but it's an interesting thing. In verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It was not a wind, and this is what I thought for most of my life. I've pictured this room and everything's like shaking, the curtains are flapping and the table's flopping over and all kinds of chaos with this big wind. It says like a wind, the sound like a wind, not a wind. So what they were experiencing was not visible. It was not able to, to say, oh, a big storm came in, or a front, or whatever. And so God always does things very uniquely. And so it says that they were filled, with a, the whole house was filled where they were sitting in verse 3. It says they saw what seemed to be the tongues of fire. So they have a visual. It literally comes in like they see what looks like fire coming into the room and then breaking up and going onto the head of every believer in the room. So you have a visual. They, they hear but don't feel. They see, they still don't understand, and then in verse 4, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This word here is not some kind of prophetic utterance. It's not a prayer language. It's not a spiritual language. It's known languages in this passage. It means that people that had never spoke another language all of a sudden could speak that language. So don't use me as an example because I did have Spanish in high school and I can barely order at Taco Bell. So when they get to the grande burrito without cheese, I'm done, okay? But I can say taco and tostada just fine, okay? But I should be better because I've studied it, right? This is talking about people that have never seen this language, probably have never heard this language. So I use the, word, the, the language of Portuguese. Um, I've ne I don't know that I've ever heard it, and I've certainly never studied it, but it was as if somebody in this audience speaks Portuguese, and I was now communicating with you completely fluently in Portuguese, which I'd never studied before. Because later on the passage, it says the people were in awe because they were having a feast where people were coming from all over the world were coming to Jerusalem, and they're seeing all of this commotion because now the apostles are speaking in languages that they would not normally ever know. There'd be no reason for them to know. And they're speaking, and people are like, wait a minute. I don't know anybody else that speaks that language. Nobody hears from my region, and yet that guy right there is speaking it just to me. It's like if you were deaf and you were looking for an interpreter. You're not going to go, don't go to me, because I just start talking louder with my hands, you know, trying to get you to understand it. But you would find somebody that speaks like you. Well, they weren't looking for it, but they found people that spoke their language. 
So in this passage, he's talking about tongues of languages that are known, but they would not know themselves being a men of Galilee. So a lot of times what we have in the Holy Spirit is people try to explain it or, 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 or unexplain it or try to put it in a box and say, you know, hey, I don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, so I just don't want to do anything. And, you know, I, I kind of grew up under a more conservative tradition where we didn't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We, we sang songs about Him occasionally, but we wouldn't even raise our hands. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's just one of those things that we, you know, I never was really taught about it, so I just kind of stayed away from it. Um, but the, that's, that's the true definition of ignorance. Ignorance doesn't mean you're not smart. It just means you're unaware. You're unknowledgeable of that thing. So it's not that you're dumb. You just haven't been taught that yet. So I feel like that was it for me is it wasn't we were wrong. We just didn't know what the fullness of the Holy Spirit was going to look like. So there's lots of questions. So let's go to the scripture and look about what God says about it. Specifically, Jesus answers all of our questions. In John chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16, he's just hours, probably somewhere between 12 and 15 hours away from being arrested and eventually being beaten and crucified and put into a tomb. So this is his last encounter with his disciples, and the most important thing he wants to tell them is, hey, I don't want you to fear. I don't want you to be stressed out. I don't want you to worry about all of this. I'm going to tell you some things that you need to know. So it's really, really important that your heart and heart be troubled here. Now, I like that. So if, if something was going on and I had somebody that was in the know of whatever the situation was and they came and told me that it's not what you think it is, it's better and here's how it's going to work out and everything's fine, I, I, I kind of stopped panicking. But if I'm running around like with a chicken with my head cut off, running around not knowing anything and everybody else is panicked, man, it just escalates tension. But when the truth comes, it just settles everything down. So we want to do that this morning as we talk about that. So one of the passages we're going to go to is John chapter 14. The verses are going to be on the screen. Uh, John 14, 16, and 17 says this, and Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He, the Father, will give you another advocate. Sometimes in translations it'll say counselor, comforter, um, uh, many other things that, 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 that are used, but in here the advocate means the word to represent. So an attorney is your advocate in court. They know the law, they know the rules, they're trying to defend your case, and so the advocate, uh, Jesus, God, uh, God says, I will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him, the Holy Spirit, because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you, Jesus says to the apostles, will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The will be is a progressive onward moving forward. It's going to happen in the near future. It's not yet, because Jesus is still alive and he's still teaching. He's trying to tell them, but he wants to comfort them not to be troubled that it's coming. Okay, The one that's coming is being sent by the Father, and he's going to take care of you. So one of the keys in that verse right there, in those two verses, is it says a lot about he. The Holy Spirit is a he. It's not an it. It's a person. He exists. He has uh, uh, a, a deity he has all the same parts as the Father and the Son. We're going to look at that a little bit later. Holy Spirit is a person. So if somebody wants to try to argue with you about it, and they're going to tell you that it's an it, what they're trying to do is they're trying to categorize in a minority state. It doesn't do that, or it doesn't show up, or it doesn't... What they want to do is they want to downplay. So when they say Jesus is not the Son of God, He's just a good teacher, they're trying to give you some things that you'll accept and then knock it off the table that it's important. That's what people do with the Holy Spirit when they say, it is trying to do this, or it wants to. It's a he. 
He is specifically referred to as a being and as a he. John 14, 25 and 26 says this, All this I have spoken, again, Jesus, while you are with me, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Now, this is what I really like. This is one of my favorite parts because I forget things all the time. And so Amy's kind of the Holy Spirit in my life, and she reminds me several times, and I, I think I worry her that I don't remember things that she's told me before. But, you know, I, I like the illustration when I was in student ministry. I used to tell kids, they'd say, yeah, you know, I didn't study for the test. I was out late doing something else. I wasn't paying attention. Showed up for my English test, and I'm like, uh, you know, God, help me. Bring a miracle so I'll remember what's on this test. And I used to tell them, you know, God can do that. I mean, he's sovereign, and he can do it any way he wants. But rarely do you see the character of God blessing ignorance, Okay. <laughs> He doesn't empower stupid or lazy. What he empowers is the student that studied and is prepared, but gets in there and has that blackout and just can't remember what you've... It's like, oh, I remember, I remember looking at this, but I can't remember the answer. This is a description where the Holy Spirit could say, I can recall to mind the things that are important that you prepared and your diligence searched. I can recall that to your mind. What I don't normally do is give you the answers because you're lazy. So Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to remind you, because you've had three years of teaching with me, and most of you don't take very good notes, he says, to his apostles, and you're going to forget a lot of things, but when you need it, and you need a verse, or you need a, a doctrine or a theology, Holy Spirit's going to remind you of those things that I've told you. John chapter 15, verse 26 says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He's going to remind you of the things that me, Jesus, is saying that I have taught you and showed you that I am the Father in one and I have come as a sacrifice and I have fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. All the things that are really important that you might forget, he's going to remind you of that and he's going to give you things theologically that maybe you didn't already put together. But he is going to do things to testify about me, Jesus, to you as the apostles as you begin to start the church. Moving to chapter 16, John 16, 7 says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless, Jesus says, unless I go away, the advocate or the Holy Spirit or the intercessor or the counselor or the comforter cannot come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this is a great thing. So one of the things that the Lord brought to mind was this idea of exchanging this thing. So let's say there's an electronic device that I have, but I want something else. So I've got an iPhone 7 or Plus or whatever it is. It's about this big now. Small TV is what we used to call it. Um, I, I've got one of these, and I'm really excited about it. And somebody comes up and says, hey, if you'll give me that 7, I'll give you something better. What's the first question you're going to ask? What do you got? What is this exchange? Because I'm not going to be a fool, give you my 7, and end up with a 3 that won't hold a charge. Doesn't have Wi-Fi. I mean, I'm not stupid. We're going to have an exchange here. And Jesus says, listen, I can't explain it to you, but the exchange is going to be me physically present for the power of me and all of you present. It's a significant upgrade that you're not aware of yet, but just trust me, he says. It's very important, right? So John 16, 8, 9, 10, and 11 are very, very important. The first verse is, is verse 8. John 16, 8 says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will provide the world, uh, I'm sorry, prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, the, the rest of them are going to explain this. Jesus is going to go on in 10, 11, uh, 9, 10, and 11. He's going to explain what that means. But let's look at it because here's what most of us, if you've ever heard this passage, most of us have heard. You're a sinner, you don't live righteously, and God's going to get you. 
There's a good God and a bad God, good cop, bad cop. And when you do wrong things, the bad guy comes out and, man, he'll drill you. You do good things, he's going to bless you. Find that scripturally. Because one thing I want to tell you that's very, very important is when God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit speak it's, or move, it's always for your best. It's always for your benefit. It's never for your demise. Now, bad things could happen. Health issues could come. People can stab you in the back. That doesn't mean that was God's plan that he wanted to watch you get crushed, but it is his plan to allow that so he can show himself in that situation. So years ago, after my brother passed away, I had some very well-meaning people try to tell me that it was God's will that my brother die of cancer so that my life trajectory would change from being selfish and all about me to really find a call to ministry. And they look back and they're like, well, I can see that. So God allowed your brother to die so he could get your attention. Well-meaning, not scriptural. God has a unique plan for my brother Dean that has nothing to do with me, has everything to do with he and God. In those circumstances, he allowed cancer to take my brother's life. And through those circumstances, he used my loss and my devastation to recalibrate my life and retraject where I was headed. So is it God's will? It's not God's will for us to suffer in these losses, but it is God's will for us to be able to use what he's doing. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Even in difficult times, the Holy Spirit is working for us. So this verse often sounds very uh, condemning. A lot of condemnation in this, that you're a sinner and you can't stand righteously and God's going to get you. Well, look what he says in verse 9. He says, about sin, the Holy Spirit He says about sin, because people do not believe in me. Jesus is talking. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to convict you of sin, because Jesus says they do not believe in me. What he's trying to say is this. Listen, I want to hold up the standard of righteousness, of godliness, of of following me. I want you to see what godliness looks like and realize your life doesn't match up, and then that's the spur in your life to move you onto something better instead of just coasting along going, hey, I think everything's fine. And then you go off a cliff because you had no idea you were going down. You thought it was a nice little lazy river trip, but it's heading to the waterfall. And God comes in and intervenes and says, listen, this little lazy river trip you think you're on has disastrous consequence. I have come so that you can have life, and I want to get you off that path. That's a positive. Verse 10 says about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. We kind of look at that going, wow, it's kind of him saying, you're on your own, guys. Good luck. Hope works out taught you everything I know, you know everything you should know, good luck. But what he's really saying is he says, listen, because the conviction of sin is going to draw you to to Christ, Christ says, I am leaving so I can go sit at the right hand of the Father so that all day, every day, for eternity, I can talk to my Father and say, listen, I know they screwed up today, but that's one of my children. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's not held against you. That's positive. Then verse 11 And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus is still alive until he dies on the cross and is resurrected from the grave. The price for sin has not been paid for. So the keys, according to the scripture, Satan still has the keys to death and disease and destruction. But when Jesus comes out of the tomb and everything is changed, the king, the prince of this world is destroyed from authority. He is set back. He's got no authority. Doesn't mean he's dead and in a box. It just means he does not control eternity, death, life, or disease, or destruction. That's good news. So instead of looking at this and going, yeah, I'm a sinner and I can't stand up to it and God's going to get me, you go, hey, 
the Holy Spirit is working on my behalf to convict me of my wrongdoing so I can begin to repent and submit myself to God. And in that submission, God is on my behalf constantly before the throne. And because of that, the judgment is removed. Man, I stand free. The Holy Spirit is a good thing. Jesus says, man, he is there for you. He is coming so that all men can have that same power that Jesus brought. Now listen, sometimes people will say, you know, he was, Jesus was all God and all, you know, fully God and fully man, which is very complicated to try to explain. People try to explain it a lot. Um, it's very complicated, but he was not omnipresent, meaning he's not always present everywhere. Jesus was time and space. When he came in the flesh, he was limited to where he was. Didn't mean that he couldn't have the Spirit do other things, but it was Jesus' power. It was Jesus present that raised them from the Lazarus from the dead. It was Jesus that gave sight to the blind. It was Jesus himself. But he says, when I go, that same power that I had is now yours. And every one of you are going to have it. That's pretty encouraging, right? John 16, verses 12 and 13. It says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own behalf. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you of what is yet to come. They don't know this yet. They don't know what the Holy Spirit can do. Jesus has just given them a heads up. So this illustration comes to mind for me. When I was in college, I had a math class, and I was pretty good in math. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I guess because it usually came pretty easy. When it didn't, I got really frustrated, like angry. Like I'm sitting over there pouting in my chair thinking, I hate math. I hate people that like math. I hate people that like people that like math. I mean, just that, you know, that kind of rile up inside because you can't get it. And I've had teachers that come over and say, you know, look at your paper. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, can you help me? No, it's a test. I can't help you. But in college, I had a situation on a, on a, a departmental exam that I didn't know a section, had no clue where to start. And I asked my teacher, I said, can you give me some guidance? And she said, well, what do you know about equations like this? And I said, well, you could either use this, this, or this. And she said, well, if you use that, what, kind of, what, what are you looking for when you do that? And so anyway, the process goes on where I'm like, okay, yeah, I know how to do this. I just needed some guidance to get there, right? So they didn't give me the answer, but they were teaching me how to figure out the answer. To me, that's the teacher you want. Not the one that's looking to mark the red X's, which I had plenty of. If, if red ink is extinct these days, there's a reason. It was all in my papers. But all of that was about, you know, right or wrong. You got it, you didn't. That's not good teaching. The Holy Spirit is that kind of teacher that says, Hey, let's walk, let, me, let me walk you through this. Let me empower you. As you submit yourself to me, I will do things in you. The Bible says a number of words, helper, intercessor, comforter, uh, advocate, several different places it's different, but all of these really come along this one concept that means to come alongside. Uh, the English translation of this word would say paraclete. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, um, but to come alongside and to help. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit is, is really all about. It's coming along to do for us the things that we can't do for ourselves. Uh, a question that came to me when I was putting this together was, you know, where did we learn to have fear of the Holy Spirit? It certainly wasn't from God. It's from Satan. Because he knows that when he got punched in the mouth and, and had the keys stripped out of his hands, the rest of his life he is doomed to be condemned, and why not take as many as I can with me on the way? 
So he wants us to be confused about that. He wants us to be like, ah, that's cute, but I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to do this or do that. Well, the Holy Spirit brings us four things in particular. He brings us power. And the Jews in the New Testament thought power meant they were going to be in power. They were going to have authority. They were going to have governmental power, political power, uh, you know, that, that type of army type thing. And uh, they, they found out real quickly that's not really what turns out. Really, the power the Holy Spirit brings is the power to witness. And we see this throughout the book of Acts with apostles that before were a little timid and kind of nervous and kind of withdrawn from time to time became empowered with the truth and the, and, and the instillment of the Holy Spirit in their life to say things they never thought would say. Later on in chapter 4, Peter is standing before the very people that hold life and death in their hands. And he steps up and says, hey, if I'm being called into account today for the help that I gave to a cripple, let it be known that the man Jesus that you crucified, but God raised him from the dead, has given us the power to do this. And you know they've got to be going, okay, well, just calm down, dude. We weren't kind of expecting that. But it says in the first part of that, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak. He even does it later in chapter 2 as well. But he gives us power. He gives us love. 1 Corinthians 13, we all read the love passage. But right before that in chapter 12, it's all about the gifts. And he says all these gifts are awesome and all the things the Holy Spirit gives. But if you have not love, you have nothing. So he gives us power. He gives us love. And he does give us the gifts. And he also gives us fruit. The fruit of the Spirit enables us. Our flesh cannot be kind enough. Our flesh cannot be generous and gentle and persevering in all those things without the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is he? Who is this Holy Spirit? So I've written down several things that I got out of a devotional that are just statements. I didn't put them up there because I want you just to listen. Who he is, Holy Spirit intercedes through us on earth. The Holy Spirit calls and qualifies ministers for their work. It is the Holy Spirit who makes them overseers over the flock. The Holy Spirit, He hears, He speaks, He teaches, He guides into all truth. He glorifies Christ. He receives from Christ. He shows us Christ. He brings all of Christ's words to our remembrance. It is better for us that Jesus would leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. He shows us things to come. He knows the deep things of God. He searches all things and reveals all things. He intercedes in our behalf. Where he is, there is freedom. Where he is, there is life. Where he is, there is hope. And where he is, there is liberty. The writers of the Bible spoke as they were moved by him to write the scriptures. The apostles gave away their lives because he gave them power to be fearless. We are warned not to grieve or to quench the Spirit. The sin against the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin because that sin is against Him who is standing for us to reveal Christ in us. And if we reject that, we've rejected Christ and we stand with no excuse. Unless a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are convicted by Him. We are born again by Him. We are led by Him, filled with Him, and sealed with Him. Guys, without the Holy Spirit, we do not have much in our Christian walk. We've got the knowledge of God, but it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit. We've got our walk with God that is led by the Holy Spirit. We've got our expression and our worship of God, which is the leading of the Holy Spirit. So let me just say this about worship, because this is so important. 
obviously we focus on worship here. We think worship is really important and we do it extremely well. But we don't do it just because these musicians are awesome, absolutely amazing. They can play the right note and they can sing the, in, in the right key and they can do all that stuff, which they can do. They don't do it so we'll applaud them for their great worship. Even though sometimes that does happen because you're so in awe of somebody's talent, you just want to applaud, and then you know spiritually you should say, well, I want to applaud to God, but you know, we don't know what to do sometimes. But all talent, all truth, all goodness, all righteousness is from God anyway. So we want to acknowledge the usefulness of their gifts, but really giving God credit for all that. So here's the one thing that I think has been somewhat happening over the last 15 or 20 years because of the worship movement, which is awesome. Sometimes, and not very many probably do this, but sometimes we start worshiping the worship and not worshiping God. John Piper, who's a brilliant man, he writes things that takes me weeks to figure out what he said. He said this at a conference one time, literally probably two or three years before I could figure out what it meant. So if you get this right away, just know that I hate you. So um, he said, sometimes we exalt the exaltation of the exalted. Yeah, me too. I was like, okay, that's good. I don't know what that means, but I agree. What he's saying is we are worshiping worship of the one that should be worshiped. So we always worship when we submit our souls, our will, our life under the kingship of God, when we lower our value and we lift his value. God is not interested in your worship. He's interested in worshipers. He's not an egotistical God that stands up there going, bring it on, bring it on. Oh, this congregation's good. Let's bless them. Financial gain. Oh, you guys are great. Here we go. Great, great worship. You guys really exalt me because I'm good and I'm awesome. You guys over here, you keep your hands down. You're not very good. You know, I'm going to punish you and your budget's going to go down. Okay? That's not how he does it. He's not looking for you to think how great he is. He's looking for you to stop thinking about how great you are and lift our eyes to how great he is. And when we change that, that projection of our eyes of, from us to him, it changes our soul. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Without him, we don't have knowledge, we don't have faith, and we have no way to trust. The Holy Spirit's really important. And I'm just going to put this in here because I think it's super important. A lot of people in, in our culture today are posting things and writing things, which first of all, I just think we need to stop reading what's posted. Um, it's incredibly how ignorant we are sometimes. And I mean ignorant not as in unintelligent, I just mean uninformed. We, we say things that are just harsh. They're, they're painful. But, but a lot of times you, you hear this conversation that people say, oh, you talk about the Trinity and you talk about the Holy Spirit. They're not the same thing. The Trinity's not in the Bible, which it's not. If you've ever looked, the word Trinity is not in the Scripture. It's a word that we've used to describe these three together as they're three in one and one in three and how you explain all that. Um, but there's no question Jesus himself explains it multiple times on how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all together. So just a few verses I'm going to read to you. They're not going to be on the screen, but John 14, 16 says, and I, Jesus, will ask the Father, God, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. It's kind of got them all in there, right? Jesus is asking the Father to send the Spirit. So they're somewhat connected, right? John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, from whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus' name, will teach you all things and remind you the things that I have said. So again, Jesus says the Father will do this and send you the power. 
So there's several other verses, but let me look just Luke chapter 3, Jesus being baptized. It's a great passage. It says this, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. So the Holy Spirit is not just a, a, a being or just some kind of mist. There is bodily form when he comes out of heaven, when Jesus is being baptized. And it says, and a voice from heaven said, this, you are my son who, I'm well, uh, who I love and with whom I'm well pleased. You got all three of them in this situation interacting with one another. You got Jesus in the water, God's talking from heaven, and he sends down the Spirit visibly where you can see him coming down. So you can't argue that the Holy Spirit is not part of this idea we call the Trinity. He is vital. He is Jesus Christ's power for us, in us, from the Father. So as we wrap this up today, I just want to ask this question. What are we going to do with the Holy Spirit? What do we do with Him? Do we just say, as some traditions go, and it's just too confusing? Because if you relinquish the power of the Holy Spirit, you've relinquished the very pipeline of energy, of source, of revelation that God says, or Jesus says, that God's going to send to us. You eliminate the Holy Spirit, then you're a football without air. And you might look good, and I could throw you. I might be able to get it to the, Mike could get it to the, to the booth from here. I, I don't know for sure if I could, but I'll give it my best shot, or I'll practice for three weeks until I can build up an orange string. I can throw the football that far. Is it going to go well? If I'm playing with somebody, am I going to throw it well? It's just a physical existence without the supernatural power in our lives without the Holy Spirit, like a football without the air. So I put this statement down to end today. The Holy Spirit is the very power that we saw demonstrated in Christ. He is for use, not for looks. So here's what I believe. In Revelation, it tells us that God is knocking on our door. And I know many of you don't remember this, but years ago, we used to go and knock on doors from churches and do what we called visitation. If you came to the church, we'd go and visit you and build a relationship. Well, things have changed. And nobody answers the door anymore, right? So one of the things you learn as somebody that goes and knocks on doors is you, you look for two things. One is light movement under the door seal and watching people move their feet and seeing if light's moving. Or if they have a peephole, you watch it go from light to dark to light again, and then the door doesn't unlock. You know their home, no reason to knock again, they ain't answering. So I like the idea that, you know, years ago when I was a kid, you, somebody knocked on the door, everybody jumped up off the couch or the, the, the you know, the, the chairs, and you put everything together, and somebody ran the kitchen, put the dishes in the sink, and you got all ready, and somebody opened the door, and everybody's kind of standing there going, hey! Now somebody knocks on the door, and everybody dives to the floor. Because we don't want to answer that. But you know what? There's an illustration here that I think is very real. The Holy Spirit may be knocking to you this morning, and you're looking through the people, and you're not going to open the door. He's calling out saying, I don't think you're connected. Well, he knows you're not connected, but you're, you're not connected to the source. You just know of me in the flesh. You don't know of me in the spirit. And I want you to open the door. Because I want you to have the power that, I descri- that Jesus described for us in John 14, 15, and 16. I want you to have that. I want you to live in that power. So as we finish here in just a second, I'm going to ask us to stand in just a sec. Have the ministry, prayer and ministry team come up kind of here in the front. If you want to talk to somebody and say, man, I'm not sure kind of looking through the peephole. I'm asking some questions. These are some great people to talk to. If you're struggling, this message really is about hope. 
It's about trusting that God will do the things He says He's going to do, and the Holy Spirit is not only available and ready, He is wanting and willing to help bring us power to live this life. No matter what we've gone through, He wants to bring us comfort. So as we get ready to leave, if you need to pray with somebody, I want you to come forward. If you leave today, you're just looking out the peephole, you've seen the word, the word of the Lord has knocked on your door, and you just decided to go back to the living room. You know there's no life there. There's no hope there. It's a prison. Jesus wants to take away those keys to your prison. So let's pray. If you guys would stand with me, get ready to leave here. Prayer and minister team will come. Father, we're going to end today. We're going to pray a mighty prayer of faith for our pastor. We're going to pray, God, that the the things that are happening in his right hand that have not fully come back yet, God, before we finish this prayer, they're back. We know without a doubt the Holy Spirit can do that work. We know without a doubt the Holy Spirit can draw people today that are away from you back to you. God, we know you can do that. But I know in the situation with our hearts, sometimes we don't want to relinquish control and we don't trust that power. I pray today that you, Father, do not let us, do not let us Look through the people and walk away. If we need prayer, let us come. If we need to talk to somebody, let us come. But Father, the rest of us need to live in power. And that's where the comfort comes. I pray this in the name of your Son because of what Jesus did for us, what he demonstrated for us, what he taught us, and what he sent us when he went back to you, the Father. That Father, today we would live in that in Jesus' name. Amen.